Okay, so the world is completely unknowable. We all know this. But what is going on? Unknowable, yes. The, uh, is that what you mean? What did I say? It sounded like ignoble. No, I said it's also true. I, uh, okay. Yeah. Unknowable. All right. Unknowable. Okay, but we need answers. What is happening with Dr. Doolittle? Like, this is, this is raptured Twitter for the past two days, I believe. I, I'm glad you asked, John. Are you ready for an education? Mm. So, obviously, Robert Call Downey me Jr. Colin following... Firth, because I am ready for an education. <laughs> first, first of all, it's <laughs> Carrie, Carrie Mulligan starred in that movie, and it was Peter Sarsgaard. Ah, was fuck, her damn item. it. I could have mixed up. <laughs> yeah, you were way off, yeah. You're thinking of a, a single man. That's the one I'm thinking I of. I think, yes. Yeah. Okay. Because you're like, Tom, Tom Ford, gay romance, yet please. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Right. I wouldn't say so please. Showing I just... my bona fides. Showing my bona fides with dramatic uh, English cinema. <laughs> Let me give you an education. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Everybody's wondering what is Robert Downey Jr.'s post uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe move? Because spoiler alert, his character died at the end of uh, Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. For all two of you who haven't seen Avengers Endgame at this point. <laughs> yes. And so people are wondering what's he going to pivot to. A lot of folks were hoping for independent dramas, which he said, like, listen, I'm not getting paid. It's a pain in the ass to work on them. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. But obviously he's still a mega superstar that presumably draws butts into seats, right? Oh, oh of course. No doubt. So I think some enterprise enterprising studio executives said, hey, let's marry the two. Mm. Known, ent- known actor in Robert Downey Jr. and known property, Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out so great for uh, Eddie Murphy. We have to do it again 20 years later. Exactly. Let's make it happen. Exactly, on those 20-year cycles. But they thought, since we're talking talking animals, mm-hmm. like we're literally talking animals here, <laughs> let's, let's zhuzh it up. Let's give it a little, uh, little jazz. So... They just released a poster this weekend, and I could see it in my mind's eye. I'm like, this is going to look like Alice in Wonderland. This is going to look like one of those Disney live-action prequels with the gothic font, maybe a little uh, uh, Harry Potter flourish. Oh, of course. It's got like a – I think they're going back to the Victorian era, so it's got that, you know, that production design bona fides. Yes, which I believe is when the books uh, on which Dr. Doolittle is based came out. Mm. There, It's a very old property. Mm. And its first film adaptation was famously a disaster. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rex Harrison, huge box office flop. Uh, hugely detrimental to the Roadshow mu- movie musical mm-hmm. back in the day. Until it, it got a little revival in Eddie Murphy when he was in his uh, kind of plaintive, uh, kind of coasting comic <laughs> rise following uh, The Nutty Professor. Just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to be a, a warm presence in this known property uh white poster big red font you know the you know the time yeah you know the drill <laughs> and so they tried to revive it however there was already uh rumors of reshoots they gave it to uh, a very talented writer and director named stephen gagan hmm. do you know who stephen gagan is no i'm not familiar with that name so he's an oscar winner for traffic oh okay yes he's the oscar winner screenwriter behind traffic and has done interesting projects here and there, like Syriana following that. Mm. Uh, however, you may not know of his last uh, ignominious box office flop, which was Gold. Yes, it was based on a Matthew tr- McConaughey. Yes, Matthew McConaughey like had a bald cap on, mm-hmm. was this like kind of enterprising, like crazy guy <laughs> who wanted to capture gold in the in the jungle. Based on a true story, obvious Oscar bait. However, it just didn't materialize. Mm-hmm. And I think it was also I think it was also the problem was it was a uh, Weinstein 
Studios production uh, in 2017. Yeah, which is a uh, a collar tug right there. Yeah, got it. <laughs> Hence why it did not get a, a huge release and and kind of flopped commercially. Um, but they said, hey, Stevie Gagan, you specialize in human dramas, very complex storylines. Here's a big family-friendly entertainment with tons of special effects and animals. Go, go wild. Mm. And it turns out he was not the one to go wild, and they had to do reshoots, and they brought somebody else in. And now it's uh, got a prime uh, release date of late January. Oh, no. Which, uh, fans, which fans of Mordecai, <laughs> um, another... <laughs> Another huge uh, comedy uh, starring a, a, a big star, in, namely Johnny Depp. Um, that, you know, share, if it shares the release date with that, you know, you know, prospects are pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mordecai lit the world on fire. You can't. It's on the lips of everybody today. It's like every time a comedy comes out. Well, is it as good as Mordecai? The answer, of course, yeah. is no. <laughs> How could it ever be? Exactly. Mustaches, comedy gold, right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So much so, they used it in the poster. They put a mustache on Gwyneth Paltrow. So, exactly. hey, Gwyneth Paltrow is also in that movie. MCU you, connections. You and McGregor was there? Yeah. Oh, everyone had a great time. Everyone exactly. got paid. That's what's important. And that's what's important, yeah. And I'm sure it's the same with the Dr. Doolittle movie. Mm-hmm. Which also, I think they're going to try and make a universe out of it. Quote, unquote, universe. <laughs> oh, no. Because it's called The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle or something like that. Oh. Yeah. So they're and, setting up like a whole like naming scheme already. Exactly. Like Fantastic Beasts. This is the and... perfect title that we can just spin <laughs> off a million things from. Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes, that one yes. makes total Fantastic sense. Fantastic Beasts, I believe is what you said. <laughs> I don't, and ask... Why you, you don't, look, you're, you're hearing me through speakers, okay? You don't understand what I'm trying to say. All right, don't I'm, correct me every time. I'm you sorry. could be wrong for all we know. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. And I'm sure if you ask uh, one out of every ten person, I'm sure they've heard of that uh, spinoff uh, cash grab following the first Harry Potter book, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I'm sure mm-hmm. they, they knew that immediately. So. Oh, of course, of course. But I, I don't think it was the, the property itself. I think it was a surprise mm. that roiled the internet once this poster came out. Mm. I'm sure... Nobody, because they didn't even announce it in, say, the Hollywood Reporter or Variety, saying, "Hey, Harry," uh, I was about to say, "Harry Potter." Yep. Robert Downey Jr. is now in a new Doctor Doolittle movie. Exactly. That is basically like Sherlock Holmes. I'm sure they were expecting a Sherlock Holmes uh, second sequel or something, but mm. that also never materialized. Guy Ritchie and Jude Law moved on to better things? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, he went on. A, he uh, he moved on to another franchise with uh, King Arthur. That that materialized so quickly and went yeah. like, "Cool, we forgot about it in a flash." <laughs> yes, now it's playing for free on IMDb TV. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That launched its own cinematic universe. Remember, yeah. remember that cinematic <laughs> universe. Yep. What a good time. I know. Still waiting for my Merlin uh, <laughs> movie starring Jude Law. <laughs> the hell is it, Warner Brothers? Let's go. Let's make it happen. Yeah. I mean, personally, Although, I don't think you can put Jude Law in too many things. Like, no. let's be real. Jude Law should be in every movie. Yeah. I'm still. I want to see what, how Vox Lux turned out. Apparently, he was the bright spot in that. Uh, oh. Versus versus Natalie Portman just uh, uh, chewing every piece of scenery around her. So look, she's look, she's gonna get her Oscar doing an accent. Okay, well, come hell or high water. All right. I know. But <laughs> if it's not Jackie, to. if it's not she... Max Lux, it's gonna be this Lucy in the Sky movie. I'm telling you, it's gonna uh, happen. Yes. <laughs> exactly. People, I think, derided her for only slightly doing ballet in Black Swan. Mm-hmm. 
and also the fact that she was pregnant at the time. It's like uh, it's like the American president. They only voted for him because his wife died. <laughs> <laughs> they felt sorry for him. Exactly. She got an Oscar. She was pregnant at the time, but <laughs> mm, got it. Yes, she's she's gonna come by her Oscar honestly, damn it. And by honestly, I mean she's gonna do some ridiculous accent, maybe dramatically gain weight or dramatically lose it. I'm not sure. Okay. Oh my but gosh! Anyway. There's a, uh, wait, wait! Breaking news. There is a trailer for Doctor Doolittle, apparently. <laughs> oh, the breaking news! <laughs> That's I was the sound. I I didn't know this. John, go ahead. This isn't the one starring Eddie Murphy. Just just to be sure. No, no, no. And apparently, according to IMDb, it is just called Doolittle now. Just Doolittle. Ah, yes. okay. Slated for a 2020 release. It's Doolittle. Oh, I see what they're doing. See, I bet he's related to Eliza Doolittle of My mm. Fair Lady fame, oh. and that's going to be the cinematic universe. Of course. Every familial Doolittle is going to get their own movie. Again, we're bringing back Roadshow Musicals, My Fair Lady, yes. Dr. Doolittle, uh, What's Next, Sound of Music. We could do it yeah. all again. They oh. did, yes. They already did Mary Poppins. They missed their shot. Uh, <sighs> Lin-Manuel Miranda reference, but <laughs> next, <laughs> Warner Brothers is getting it. They're, they're getting in their bag. They're doing Roadshow Musicals again. Yeah, folks, I love it. coming back. Yes, love we, love, we love it. Folks, folks, it went away, and nobody knew where it went, but the, guess what? I'm bringing it back. <laughs> Cinematic universes, it, folks. Don't we? We love it. <laughs> Cinematic universes are dead. Now it's now it's back to roadshow musicals. Right. It's great. This Game is, shows are back too. Yeah, everything's back. The, we're living in the future we always dreamed of. <laughs> Speaking of everything coming back full circle, uh, ah. that was a terrible segue, but it happened. All yeah. right, accept it. Well, uh, let's introduce the show proper. Mm-hmm. This is Aspiring Snobs, a podcast in which you and I, twin brothers, I'm Greg, this is John. Hello. We look back at movies that we probably should have seen by now, the movies that are blind spots in our film canon, and we want to build our film, our film bona fides, our mm-hmm. uh, aspiring to film snobdom by catching movies that we haven't quite seen yet. And this is a case where we haven't seen uh, a horror movie from the 1970s. Now, we had a pick of the litter at this point. Uh, we had... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we had The Exorcist, and mm-hmm. of course we had the film we're going to talk about here. However, we looked at the market. Mm-hmm. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I believe, has spawned five films. <laughs> yes, at Texas, least. Uh, it's really yes. hard to keep track of because there's the there's two Leatherfaces now at this point, two Leatherface films, and then yes. I think it spawned three sequels and two prequels. So yes, really hard. Well, to Well, two track prequels of. and I think one me- remake. Yes, maybe. and okay, I. It's, but it, and I can't tell which Leatherface is a prequel or a sequel, so who knows? Yeah. The other option was The the Exorcist, which has spawned one best-selling book and two sequels. Or, sorry, two sequels and two prequels, but they're essentially the same film. They just reshot it when they were unhappy and released <laughs> two different versions. But I love it. I love it. Yeah. But with so much derision, we, we instead went with this film, which is one best-selling book, uh, one sequel, two remakes, one for television, one for film. Mm-hmm. And, and let's not forget that, ooh, that juge, we got a Stephen King film here, baby. Exactly. William Peter Blady, I'm sorry. You can't keep up with Mr. King. And in terms of his relevance... <laughs> no one can as, keep up with Mr. King. <laughs> exactly. With, in terms of his rel- relevance or SEO. So that's who we're going with today. Give, give, him, give him a typewriter and some blow, and oh boy, you've got a <laughs> thousand-page tome by t- next week. <laughs> exactly. We're ready. John, you ready? <laughs> Yes, I'm ready, because this week we are talking 
Carey. I, t I know periods are in fact very daunting John but I'm going to take you through the process or, okay. you... thank you thank you I was scared yes I was not... I was as confused as Carrie in the opening scene I was like what is happening <laughs> was she murdered was she stabbed I'm confused <laughs> I, that's not true I, I know you know what the menstrual cycle is and that's why you avoid women Greg I'm a gay man. man I don't know anything about the female anatomy all right zero absolute zero <laughs> We are starting at baseline nothing. Yeah, so you share a lot with our intrepid protagonist, Carrie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. John, let's go back in time. Do -do 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 -do. <laughs> the year is 1973. Mm -hmm. Stephen King, uh, cocaine is not a designer drug yet in America, <laughs> so Stephen King just has only a few manuscripts that he's shopping around, but he sells one for Carrie. Mm -hmm. Story of a young girl who is unfortunately bullied at high school, a bit of an outcast. And doesn't have a particularly great home life. Mm. No, we. Uh, I don't want to give this movie too much credit because uh, it's taking it to the nines. It's not a very subtle film, but at the very <laughs> beginning, uh, it it does it does kind of leave you to intone a little bit about her home life until we actually get to the principal's office. It's like, well, you know what they say about those whites. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I the, do... the whites being the family name, not <laughs> yes. <laughs> the principal is not making a judgment based on her race. No, of course not. <laughs> Carrie White is our protagonist, and yeah. uh, it's it, it. This movie is very over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brian De Palma was like, "Never enough. It's not enough. Keep going. <laughs> more, yeah. more. Give me more." Yes. Now we're 150 episodes in. I didn't even bother to check. Is this our first Brian De Palma joint? I believe so. Yes. Okay, great. Um, I mean, we've talked about, uh, I think we've brought him up during Spotlight, but I don't think we've done one of his films proper. No. Uh, yeah, give me give me a minute to, to double-check our records, but you vamp, so go. Okay, yeah. so I believe this is our first Brian De Palma, or at least Brian De Palma in his prime. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean just imitating Hitchcock as much he can. <laughs> but, use, but as you said, doing that style to the nines. So... Mm -hmm. As we talk about Carrie, there's there's not a whole lot of story here. It has to get by on atmosphere. Mm -hmm. We're we're playing and and like a lot of great horror movies, we talked about this last week with Rosemary Babies, with Rosemary <laughs> Mo, Rosemary Babies. No, I'm talking <laughs> Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary Babies. Yes, yes. my favorite kind <laughs> yes. of babies. Uh, yes, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get me off. started on time toddlers. Ooh, gross. <laughs> Great, and cutting that off now. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Classic horror that's playing off everyday anxieties. In the case of Rosemary's Baby, it was about uh, pregnancy and parenthood and our neighbors. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's the 
the, the trauma brought on by bullying and maybe an abusive home life. Exactly, and with a with a just a light sprinkling of uh, a female's changing body, and uh, what that means for her own uh, agency. Yes, and so we kind of have two different modes here that we're following. One is Carrie as a bullied teen, but using her supernatural powers, and this is where the horror comes in: the fact that she has this telekinetic power and can move objects and things with her mind. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, this power manifests itself in two ways. Either A, she can break out of being a bullied teen in a very cruel high school or break out of the abusive relationship with her mother. And I think that's where the the split for me kind of takes place. And so you you seem to deride its uh, kind of exaggerated over-the-top style, mm-hmm. which I actually liked. And it, if there isn't a, a whole lot of like plot points or a lot of twists happening, like I, I had admire that they did like really exaggerate the style and try to go over the top with atmosphere and tone Mm. see i think the reason why i was a little less enthused with that style is because i don't think it feels very stephen king one of the things we know about stephen king is the fact that he does kind of give an air of realism to all his works while his works do kind of uh, usually encapsulate some kind of fantastical element they all seem very kind of grounded and this movie, uh, grounding was definitely not at the forefront, or the uh, <laughs> it was not the main impetus of the film. It's, it's it, like the opening scene. Like again, she gets her period while she's in the shower, and her first response is obviously shock. But then she literally grabs the first woman, she, like classmate she sees, and goes, "Help me! Help me!" <laughs> it's a well, bit much. I can't. Yeah, I can't speak to that. Uh, it's, I am not a woman, um, <laughs> so I can't speak to however that experience is. Um, however, like, no, you're right, it isn't natural. However, I think it is in service of the story in terms of, like, here's a poor, helpless girl, mm-hmm. and her classmates immediately deride and bully her. Exactly. And, and that's I guess it what does. The, and that's what the story needs. And she also needs a defender in her gym teacher. Yes, who is willing to slap any student she needs to <laughs> to get her away. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, what I learned is that the 70s were a different time. <laughs> uh, not just in style, which we already knew, mm-hmm. but also in terms of uh, punishment and getting a point across. Yes. <laughs> like, physical abuse to teenagers was apparently not a big concern. <laughs> no. <laughs> if anything, it was, I, th- I think, cheered on. <laughs> yes, it was very welcome. <laughs> the old woman. Why didn't you tell me, Ma? <laughs> I and God made Eve from the rib of Adam. And it was weak and loosed the raven on the world. And the raven was called sin. Said, the raven Why was called sin. Why you tell sin. me, Mama? Said, no. The raven was called sin. Ooh, woman. And the raven was called sin. And first sin was intercourse. First sin was intercourse. I didn't sin, Mama. No. Say it. I didn't sin, Mama. First sin was intercourse. First sin was intercourse. And first sin was intercourse. And the first sin was intercourse, Mama. I was so scared. I was dying. And the girls, they all laughed at me and threw things at me. And Eve was weak. Say it. No, Mama. Eve was weak. No. Eve was weak. No. Eve was weak. Say it. No, Mama. Say it. Eve was weak. Eve was weak. I mean, I guess that's the other point you could make is that maybe the over-the-top antics in her school life kind of put, uh, you know, not too sharp a relief on her home life because, you know, there's obviously a very uh, stark contrast when she goes home. Uh, 
after she gets her period on her first on the, uh, this day, she talks to the principal. They get uh, who keeps calling her Casey. He calls her Casey like four times yeah. after being corrected three times. Like it's it's embarrassing. I yeah. Th- even at that point, I was like, okay, just once. Like we only need to know that she's somewhat ignored by the principal. Like just the first time that he gets her name wrong, not like the fourth time he gets yes. her name wrong. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if he wasn't corrected every single time. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, so she gets sent home. She doesn't have to go to gym class for the next week. And then in Sharp Relief, we actually do see what her home life is. And it's a very dank, dark, and kind of her house practically is haunted. It's like she's living with the Adams family. Um, and it's in Sharp Relief to kind of the production of the design of the school, which is very bright, very a uh, lot of light, a lot of natural light, a lot of white walls. Yeah. And then you go to All her, her dank pit of a home. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was going to say it's in the costume design, too. All our classmates are in the, the fast fashion of the day. Uh, a lot of bell-bottoms, oh, perms yeah. on, the go- on the girls and boys. Um, <laughs> a lot of hair in this movie. <laughs> yes. Whereas her, like as they intimate later in the movie, like all her clothes are homemade. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, very, she's very poor, and that's reflected in her costume design. But I, I again, admire that because, again, it's not like we have a lot of twists or motivations to work from. It's true. It's not. Yeah, usually we kind of latch on to the story and characters. Here, they got to come across in a very exaggerated way because we have a very uh, a reticent, mousy protagonist. Mm. It's not like her character is like immediately forward. So we have to like, how do we communicate that? And I think Brian De Palma does a good job, as well as the uh, production designer Jack uh, John Fisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, or excuse me, Jack Fisk, uh, husband of our star Sissy Spacek. Oh, <laughs> yes. interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's looking a little, up all the trivia. Uh, Greg is full yeah, of facts I, today. <laughs> yeah. Well, this movie is full of facts, and like I, let's maybe get this, make this a lead into our performances. Uh, this movie may not have the popularity without uh, its star Sissy Spacek as our mousy protagonist, or as our mousy bully protagonist. It wouldn't happen without her husband at the time, Jack Fisk, being hired on this Brian De Palma production and encouraging her to audition. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And she acquits herself uh, quite well. She kind of captures that uh, that kind of mousiness, that, but also that kind of blankness when uh, she does develop her telekinetic powers. Like, she's got those kind of brilliant wide eyes that kind of really capture, you know, when she's using it, along with the, uh, let's, let's call it what it is, the psycho riff, the me, me. <laughs> yeah, so great point. Sissy Spacek, like, really kind of underplays it. And also, according to trivia, she was method in her approach to this production like really isolated herself from her fellow castmates and everything mm-hmm. like really tried to live uh, as isolated as carrie would be um in contrast the actress playing her mother piper laurie mm-hmm. um, is <laughs> is like a like a, a hitchcock performance like uh, over overwhelmingly exaggerated like she's like i i like uh like who's that televangelist i have sinned <laughs> Well, I like the way she's introduced. She's not introduced in the home. She's introduced doing a house visit. <laughs> and yes. I, I, I like the fact yeah. that she's introduced doing uh, uh, her evangelical business. So, uh, yeah. you know, she like walks it like, you know, she walks up to the door and is obviously very imposing. And the mother's like, oh, why don't you come in? Like knowing the, the whole spiel and everything she's going to get. Yeah. And she eventually gets her to go away by giving her $10, <laughs> which yes. even even she's not happy about because she knows that this is just a way to get her out of the house. <laughs> Exactly. Even with and the donation, also... she's like, she's like, I could have been selling, I could have been saving souls here. Yeah, <laughs> and 
it also creates that logical connection because you're probably wondering like oh why are they moving all the time why do they have their own house um, mm-hmm. but again it's based off these donations and her browbeating like her overly religious uh, uh, demeanor which comes up a lot in Stephen King's work mm, yes <laughs> Stephen King uh, good female ri- character writer Mm. Uh, honestly, I was uh, I was expecting worse. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay, on... <laughs> okay. Give him credit. I was. It yeah. could have been worse. <laughs> yes. So for one thing, in this, uh, I don't know. Let's let's get to Brian De Palma's style, and and you brought up the the Psycho screeches. Like yes, mm-hmm. he re, he reuses um the score from Psycho for some of the scarier moments when uh, well, whenever she uses her telekinetic powers, that's when exactly they get used. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another Hitchcock uh, trademark, the male gaze. Mm. <laughs> so, I honestly, the the first few moments of the movie made me a little uncomfortable. Not the least of which that uh, Carrie is savagely bullied. But uh, prior to her actually getting her period, we do this long tracking shot, uh, a De Palma trademark, a long tracking shot through a very steam-filled girls' locker room. Mm. All of them like <laughs> in various states of undress. <laughs> and I, I think it, it's supposed to be enticing, yet also put me at ease in the fact that, oh, these are high schoolers, and I probably shouldn't be <laughs> like enjoying this. <laughs> I mean, you could make the argument that it's it's this, it's a sense of tranquility before it all goes to hell. Like it's the last moment we see of Carrie before she becomes a woman, quote unquote, yeah, and gets her psychic powers. So yes, there's meant to be some, kind of a, a sense of serenity uh, before it all you know goes to hell. So you could argue that's what he was intending. But you're right, there's definitely a a sexualized aspect of it, especially when she's cleaning herself. <laughs> yes. As I mean, again, I don't know anything about the female anatomy. I didn't know that you had to do uh, concentric circles on your boobs to watch them. <laughs> I, yes, John. Come on. They're circular. They've, they've got a lot of tight corners in there, okay? okay. Have to be, yeah. As an FBI agent myself, female body inspector, I know mm. these things. <laughs> got it. <laughs> I might have known it would be red. It's pink, Mom. What Tommy gave me, Mama? Aren't they beautiful? I can see your dirty pillows. Everyone will. Breasts, Mama. They're called breasts. And every woman has them. Take off. We'll burn it together and pray for forgiveness. No, Mama. Now, I want to pick up on something you pointed out, though. Mm-hmm. You thought this is where she first... This is where she, she first shows her telekinetic powers. Mm-hmm. You you also intimated that this is where she first acquires them, is following when she becomes, quote, becomes a woman. Yes. I, okay. I think there is obviously a very direct connection there. Okay. She gets her period, and that's when her uh, telekinetic powers manifest. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I didn't believe that. I thought she, she already had her telekinetic powers prior to having her first period, which, by the way, she's she's only supposed to be 16 or 17. She should have had her pre- period way before this. We'll <laughs> yeah, exactly. gloss over that. <laughs> yeah. Well, girls are getting we're, are getting them earlier and earlier these days, so maybe in the 70s. Who knows? You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like height ratios. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I think that's maybe some of the limits of visual storytelling is because, like, A, we don't know when exactly she acquires her telekinetic powers, and B, we don't know the motivations of sub-characters, because following this, uh, following their, their bullying of Carrie, the whole gym class is put through a boot camp. They're mm-hmm. all miserable, and they want to get... They all blame Carrie for it, obviously, in the way yeah. that cruel kids do. And so they concoct a plan to embarrass her at prom but it's not exactly clear who's in on it or what no. exactly that plan is and again you talked about how the story's kind of thin like a lot of this movie's plot is dedicated to what is their plan how do they plan to get revenge on carrie here is yes. every single machination i'm like what i guess he's setting himself up for directing mission impossible one day because it's like <laughs> all the plan is coming together and it's like it's not a very devious plan it's like let's put a bucket of pig's blood over her head and you know embarrass her <laughs> Yeah, and this is why I wish they'd focus on the character played by Amy Irving. Her name is Mm -hmm. Sue Snell. She's the one who, and it's not clear until the very end, or basically when she has the the famous, you know, that bucket of pig's blood poured on her. Mm -hmm. It's not clear if she's in on the plan or not. Yeah. But the fact is, she's sympathetic to Carrie and does ask her boyfriend at the time, Tommy, the star quarterback slash, I guess, a student although it's revealed that he's not he's not exactly an a student he gets a lot of help in those areas exactly but she's the sympathetic one and does want her to be ingratiated into the community and be part of prom and their social circle mm-hmm. but that's not clear when cut up against the other two clear villains of the story um the characters played by nancy allen chris and john travolta mm. yes sandy um. <laughs> Yeah, John Travolta, uh, you know, uh, who knew watching this movie he'd be the illustrious star of films like Gotti and The Fanatic. Um, yeah. I don't think he's very good in this film. Um, one might question if John uh, John Travolta was good in anything. But um, I... <laughs> but again, it's a pretty sitcom? thin character. What was the sitcom with Gabe Kaplan where he got his big break? Welcome Back, Cotter. And that's and why. Welcome back, Hotter. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, even okay. though he's only in like maybe three minutes of this film, he does get kind of top billing for that reason. So, yeah, um, yeah, he doesn't really have a lot to do, and it's a very thin character. He's basically just like the asshole boyfriend, who yes. kind of goes along with the plan, but he's like the guy who drinks and drives and slaps his girlfriend. A lot of slapping in this movie, guys. I don't know if we can emphasize that enough. Yeah, seventies um, dark time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not a time to revisit. Mm-hmm. Got to be honest. Yep. You could just see that from the fashions, but if we really delve into some of the the darkness of this movie, then <laughs> really not a time worth vis- revisiting. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to what everybody knows about this movie. Yes, the climax. That image. Yes, that image. Mm. Well, I guess it's not officially the climax. It's more like the, the second and third back third act act break, I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a thin story. I didn't know exactly when it was coming. I knew it was coming, but I didn't know exactly when. And it's after this very long sequence in which it's all in slow motion. About 20 minutes of this movie is slow motion of yeah. Carrie winning prom queen and coming up to the stage. And this is when Sue, like, it tries to, to stop Sue, them. Yeah. yeah, Sue was a sympathetic one. And the gym teacher, who's obviously also sympathetic, like, tries to prevent it. Or 
doesn't know like what exactly is afoot and and chris and billy are hiding under the stairs again very long very laborious i do like uh all the camera work like it shows a, a tremendous amount of technical skill oh yeah uh, for the for the camera to go like track up like all the way to the string of the bucket of blood and then zoom in on on tommy and carrie like sitting at the table when she wins the award like that's all very well done um, but yeah, I think your mileage may vary on that. I personally liked it because, again, I knew it was coming. I was waiting for like the suspense to build. Like you, you probably thought it was a. Little, it sounds like you thought it was a little exaggerated. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like again, like the rest of the movie, I thought it was just kind of uh, showing off. I thought it was kind of just like uh, not showing off. That's not the right term, but just kind of a little too uh, self-indulgent, which is something I kind of criticize movies for being for, but then someone once recently called me out on saying, it's like, yeah, movies are self-indulgent. They're, they're popcorn affair, you know, like most of the time. So yeah, but you're right. I completely forgot that this was only kind of like the first act of the finale because he, she goes home and, you know, is greeted by her mother and her mother's like, don't worry, it'll all be okay. And they start praying. Mm. And then it turns out that the mom has a uh, darker intentions. She tries to kill Carrie as kind of a sacrificial lamb. Because now she's seen how dangerous she really is, and you know she thinks that she's being called by the Lord to kill her. And then uh, Carrie, in uh, it gets her telekinetic mojo back and enacts uh, revenge. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's the thing. Let's let's kind of parse out, and this is where, if if I have any criticism of the movie, I didn't know like what it was. Is Carrie a villain mm. for like enacting her revenge? In this case, probably inadvertently killing our very sympathetic gym teacher like in her rage is she mm. is she a woman is she a villain succumbing to her rage and this id of vengeance or is she like should be should be cast in a sympathetic light and you know she's this is the cathartic moment of yeah she's getting back at all of her bullies like which is which is it and you can't sorry Stephen King you can't have it both ways you can't tell me like oh it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> like it has to be one or the other yeah and i th- i think yeah it, it really diverges in this scene even though we see th- throughout the whole movie she's she's bullied in two arenas of her life both at school and at home mm-hmm. but here when she like has a vent fall on fall on the sympathetic gym teacher and it's also not clear like she she presumes that everybody's laughing at her and the and the screen goes all kaleidoscopic yeah but it seems like the initial reaction like only the the prissy uh, jerk girl in Norma is her name. Hand. Yeah, yeah, I remember Norma. her name very specifically. <laughs> yes. Norma. Yes, because I hated her. She sucks. I'm glad. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she was the only one who seemed yes. like laughing. Everyone else was like deeply concerned. Uh, yeah, but of course, from Carrie's perspective, you know, like her mother warned her, which maybe her like it also implies maybe her mother has telekinetic powers as well because she kind of saw the future. I don't know. Like, yeah. Or like maybe casting her in a more sympathetic light, but mm. yeah, it's like this. If, if this is going to be popcorn fair, mm-hmm. then also also the like the the implications and and thematic resonance of it should also be that uh, th- that simplistic as the entertainment is. It's not yeah. we're not we're not talking about uh, uh, Dostoevsky here. It's not like. <laughs> It's not like all oh, families are different. Like no, either Carrie is our sympathetic protagonist who gets uh gets to cathartically be violent um, against mm-hmm. her her oppressors, like or she is a villain and like her complete uh lack of awareness for social situations like gets the better of her. Yeah. And like then it has to be Sue, our sympathetic Sue that has to take her down. Well maybe 
Well, maybe, and that's the reason why we get uh, the kind of climax is bifurcated. Like, whereas the the huge blow-up in the gym is meant to be a little more ambiguous, whether she's the right party or the wrong party. But with her mother, it's very clear-cut. I mean, her mother stabbed her with a knife. <laughs> like, she was... Yes. <laughs> even though, you know, that's it's not really a fair fight when one party has telekinesis. Yeah, like, it was in self-defense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it also demonstrates the two performances because that's uh, Piper Laurie's Oscar moment when she reveals like the whole backstory, like she was, like Carrie was a product of a marital rape, and then the father ran out on her, and mm-hmm. like yeah, she she gets she elicits the most sympathy out of her, but then yeah, she turns into Norman Bates at the end, like <laughs> she's smiling with a butcher's knife in her hand, like it's, it'll all be over soon, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a bit much. Well, the yeah. whole movie, that's my that's my pithy summation. Carrie, a bit much. Like, I, I kind of wish they, they, they wound it down a little bit, but you're right, the story is very thin. Like, there's not a lot of plot here. No, and so, like, there's a lot of different approaches you can take to it. I mm-hmm. like the approach that they did make in terms of exaggerating the atmosphere mm-hmm. and, like, amplifying what little drama there is to the, to the nines. I'm sure there's another ver- version you could do it that's very realistic. Mm-hmm that maybe doesn't introduce the fact that she has telekinesis like right away exactly and she slowly yeah and either paints her like more appropriately paints her in a more complicated light mm. i think yeah. that's what the 2013 remake did right i clearly <laughs> you know what it was it was more faithful to the book there you go sure. oh why not like stephen king <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i was i was fascinated to learn that the book is actually like epistolary and brings together like news reports and letters and that's how you cobble together this narrative that seems to be the way to go yeah exactly because it's like carrie isn't this can't tell her own story instead it's projected on by visions of her her mother her bullying classmates her teachers and the school administrator who doesn't like care that much for her that seems more appropriate than maybe this like overly dramatic version but Overall, I, I got to say it's it was effective. It it worked for me. Um, I I didn't love it, but uh, I thought it was fine. So, uh, yeah, that's our I guess that's our our uh, pithy summation. Good job, us. Killed yeah. it, <laughs> good. guys. We did it. Right. We have the final word on Carrie. Um, until they remake it again in twenty twenty nine or so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Oh wait! First, it's got to be a streaming exclusive. First, it's going to be on Shutter. Eight eight yeah. part series. I I got to be honest. My impression of Carrie is also bumping up against all the other adaptations of Stephen King's work, namely the made-for-TV versions oh. that are all cheesy and terrible. And little did I know they did make a made-for-TV version of Carrie that was going to be a pilot. It was Carrie survives her ordeal uh, with her mother and the prom, and then Sue takes her to protect her, and then they would, I don't know, solve crime or something. <laughs> <laughs> She's a tele- teleconnect power to, like, you know, 
help the special victims unit. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of what they did with Minority Report, I guess. <laughs> when they yes. turned that into a TV show. <laughs> yeah. It was written by Brian Fuller, who's done a lot of, like, acclaimed TV shows like Pushing Daisies and Hannibal, mm-hmm. kind of short-lived programs. So, yeah, this one just didn't work out, but... Mm. I, I don't know. Yeah, the, like it's far better than the the TV version of it or um, <laughs> Longoliers or whatever. Like all the other crap that Stephen King has done. So <laughs> okay, give it credit for that. Huh? Can I can, right. can I meet you halfway on there, John? Yes, you can. Yes, absolutely. You you yes. win. You win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's what this podcast is about. My impression of the movie winning. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Congratulations, Greg. You won. <laughs> it's all about dominating. It's all about dominating the opponent. <laughs> it's to make the libs look like fools. Exactly. <laughs> well, Greg, there's only one way we can look more foolish than we already look, and that's with our recommendations for the week. That's fair. That's true. Mm-hmm. We end every episode with, um, if we can't wholeheartedly recommend the classic movie that we watched, uh, we do wholeheartedly recommend something in our signature section, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight. Golden Gramps. Yes. Let's let's plant some posies on the roundabout of chat. On the roundabout of recommendation. Uh-huh. Yes. Who should go first this week? I think it's my turn to go first. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. You go first. Okay. All right. Um, now, I'm I'm not a big fan of Patreon. I'm not a big fan of Kickstarters. I don't particularly care for uh, Sean. This whole, why this whole concept? Where I guess it's like the the distillation of market forces. Like, yes, we're giving you our money before and even uh, before a product is even finished or whatever. I guess Patreon's a little bit more preferable. I've only given money to one Kickstarter, and I've only considered giving my Patreon my my hard-earned Patreon dollars yeah. to one YouTube channel in particular because I do think that they're doing a very good public service and because they are in the realm of politics, sadly, a lot of their videos are either taken down by uh, abuse or be- demonetized because, ooh, yeah. it's too hot for YouTube to handle. <laughs> oh, our advertising dollars have to go to, like, PewDiePie or something. Who cares? Um, right. But I want to recommend and give as much attention to I can to a little-known YouTube channel called uh, Even More News. Or I guess it's just some more news. Uh, I, I I really can't remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Some More News, and mm-hmm. it's hosted by Cody Johnson, I believe. Yes, Cody Johnson and written by Katie Stoll, who are both former uh, workers at Cracked, which is a site we've uh, uh, made our affections known for. Absolutely. We, we, we miss the old days of Cracked, and uh, I'm glad to see that uh, everyone has sprouted beautiful wings and moved on to other projects. And Daniel O'Brien recently won an Emmy, so <laughs> there really? you go. What did uh, he win an Emmy for? Uh, he, he, he's, for the past year, he's been writing for um, Last Week Tonight. Okay, good yeah. for him. Oh, you didn't? You right. didn't uh, yeah, on Twitter, uh, everyone on Crack, uh, former people from Cracked were like applauding him, and someone caught on TV. You could see him on stage for like a, a blip for a half second. Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry to derail that. Let's get back on to Cody Johnson and the yes. things he's doing on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because he started doing the show for Cracked, and I didn't care for it then, but okay. uh, uh, he's really refined it, and now it's you know these kind of twenty to thirty minute, uh, basically huge breakdowns of the news stories. Wait, 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 wait. wait. 
Thir- right. Twenty. You promised me. You just promised me there were twenty to thirty. Yes. I know for a fact that, that is not the case. Um, not all of them. No. <laughs> no. There's one I, in particular. I think in particular, yeah. His his big one is is uh, is contrary to uh, one Ben Shapiro. Yes. Again, astroturfed uh, nitwit. Um, <laughs> short. He's short, folks. That's all you need to know about him. Um, but I believe that one runs an hour plus. Yes, because believe it or not, there's no shortage of uh, of bad takes that he can take from uh, yeah. uh, Ben Shapiro. So <laughs> even yeah, even at like the 40 minute mark, he's like, "I'm sorry, this is so long, but we have so much to cover." <laughs> okay, fair enough. But yeah. that's an outlier. That's mm-hmm. not. That's an outlier. His his videos are usually not that long. But oh, that Ben Shapiro okay. one. It's just mm, yes. Give it. To, give me more. <laughs> it's like cake. Just never stop stuffing it in my face. <laughs> I, I'm well aware, John. I, I I won't use this use this platform to promote myself. But mm-hmm. um, if you want to look at my YouTube channel, oh great, <laughs> there is. I did cut together another podcast view of uh, Ben Shapiro into a compilation. So oh boy, oh. A, fa- a failure compilation, as it were, and it's gone just as viral as those ones have. So no, oh, marvelous. Yeah. Greg, you've you've gone viral. You've caught the virus. I, <laughs> if uh, two hundred thousand plus views are a virus, then yes. Okay, good, good. Yeah, and it's probably it's well probably all thanks to SEO. But anyway, right. <laughs> sorry, I didn't want to take away from some more news. So yes. John, get, bring us some more news. What else? What else is there? Well, this most recent video he's done as of recording is actually about uh, vaping and kind of the vaping controversy, the controversy. Oh, okay. And kind of how it's given the media narrative surrounding it. And I guess that's kind of what I like. I like a lot of... I, I personally gravitate towards media criticism, and that seems to be his kind of major bent, is yeah. getting to the nitty-gritty or kind of the aspects of the story you might not have heard about or not familiar with. It. And I guess also there's the whole clickbait aspect. Everyone's thinking, you know, talking about this vaping ban and if it's right or if it's wrong. And he kind of shows that it's it's more complicated than that and that the, the prevailing narrative around it is kind of skewed. So, uh, believe it or not, it's the big corporations that are kind of driving the narrative. <laughs> Who would have thought? I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I know. What a surprise. But yeah, yeah that video. If you listen, if you listen to NPR at all, <laughs> for the last two weeks or so, like it, it might as well be uh, Helen Lovejoy going, "Won't somebody please think of the children?" <laughs> exactly. And uh, that, while that's not one of his better videos, uh, one of the other things I love about it is there's also a great takedown of uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> Let me tell ah. you, some more news is not a big fan of Joe Biden. <laughs> I, that's shocking to me. I find that left-leaning media is all about Joe Biden. I find they love him. They can't get enough of him. They want to return to those Obama days. Um, yes. That's that's what real progressive left-leaning media is gravitating towards these days. <laughs> and that's kind of the well, the thesis of his um of that video is Joe Biden would be great if you were running as a Republican, not as a Democrat. I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, like he taught, like you were bringing up, like, hey Joe, just because you want to return to the good old days doesn't mean the good old days were good. Like, no. Just because things were fine back then doesn't mean they can't be better. And that's why you shouldn't run. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, he just sucks. So there's also that. It, yeah. There. Yeah. If you look at his record, so. Okay, so I, I find he's fitting in with a lot of uh, my other uh, left-leaning entertainment info or infotainment uh, political taste. So yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So uh, sorry for the confusion. Some more news is the YouTube channel. Even more news is the podcast that they also run weekly, which is kind of a companion piece. Uh, companion okay. piece with uh, him and Katie Stoll. So okay. All so, right. So uh, highly recommended. And uh, even though I don't give to their Patreon, I hope that they make all the monies, give them all the monies, throw all the monies at them. 
maybe maybe I'll I'll give him another shot on YouTube because yeah after about 20 minutes I was exhausted like yeah. most last week tonight videos I just <laughs> there's only so much content I, I mean I I'll be honest I am kind of surprised that I got into it as much as I did because again I Cody Johnston is not for everybody <laughs> he has a no. very kind of specific candor and pace that uh that can get very grating after a while so yeah like like Ben Shapiro, it, well, at least I can understand <laughs> J- Cody Johnson's appeal. He seems like a normal human being. Well, no, that's this. that. No, that's the thing. Like he'll play up the fact that he he can kind of like it seems like he's eventually getting unhinged. So yeah. and also likes to imply that he actually lives under his desk. So okay, <laughs> during the vaping one, he's like, you know, why can't it just be like a normal controlled substance like tobacco or PCP? I love taking PCP. PCP. <laughs> What's that? What's uh, I shouldn't be talking about PCP. I should okay. PCP is illegal. I should not be advertising the fact that I am on PCP currently, as of right now. Okay, got it. Okay, all right. <laughs> so there's still some levity and jokes in the middle. Exactly, of it, and which, there's still jokes. Which, yes, which last week tonight seems to sometimes forget, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know calls back like tw- ten minutes later. Who knows? I'm so confused. Maybe it's the PCP talk. I'm not PCP talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. We, they have fun. All right, that's yeah. fun. Yeah, Greg. What? Shit. Speaking of fun, what do you have for spotlight? <laughs> I, fun is not the operative word. Oh. I want to go back to the ethos of this podcast, and I'm talking film bona fides. Okay. I am so thankful, John. I want to cast your mind back to the internet of circa 2008. You're so nostalgic. You, you already took us. You know, you already taken us back to the time travel machine once. Like, how many more time travels can we go before we start losing I, our minds, like our current president? <laughs> Like Joe Biden, I want to go back to the good old days. Yes. All right. I want to bring you back to a particular website that has since folded. Mm-hmm. But this is a day before uh, studios understood the power of YouTube and Twitter. And they didn't put trailers up immediately. Mm-hmm. And if you did want to see the latest Doolittle poster <laughs> or trailer, you had one place to go. And you and I used to go there all the time, worstpreviews.com. Oh, my. I completely forgot. Wow. I would yes. have never thought about that <laughs> that website ever again until you mentioned it. <laughs> no, it shuttered its doors in 2015, uh, oh. un, yes, un, unceremoniously. It just stopped one day. Mm-hmm. But on that particular website, I saw a trailer that has been stuck in my head for ages for a, an art movie, uh, mm-hmm. an anthology movie, three films by three tremendous directors, and I've been trying to find this movie for ages. Mm. It was put out by Kino Lorber, like a very small distributor. So it's not like it was ever out on DVD or hit any streaming services until now. I threw in, I threw it into JustWatch.com to see if it was streaming anywhere. <laughs> what I'm caused you th- to remember this? Like why? What you- What caused me to remember this? It's because it's a film set in a city of Tokyo, in the city of Tokyo, okay. which I will be visiting very soon. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, so I was he had reminded to bring that of this up film. Again. <laughs> exactly. So I was reminded of this film. So I just threw it into uh, the search engine to see where it was playing. I'm very thankful it was playing on Amazon.com or Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, God forbid everything else that they do, but <laughs> I will give them credit for this. Okay. And that movie is Tokyo! Explanation point. Just to- oh, just Tokyo. Yes, just okay. Tokyo. Got it. Okay. With an exclamation point at the end. All this right. is an anthology film uh, with three short films. Well, three short-ish films. They're all about uh, 30 to 45 minutes long. Mm-hmm. By Michelle Gondry, Leos Carax, 
and director of the recent Parasite movie, Bong Joon-ho. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yes. Okay. So they're all like little uh, light, fantastical stories set in Tokyo. Michelle Gondry starts out strongly with a story called Interior Design. It's about a kind of listless couple of artists who mm-hmm. uh, crash at their friend's place. Um, they're looking to uh, live in Tokyo, but they don't really have jobs or prospects. So... Th- th- and the the woman in the relationship is uh, derided for being a bit un, unambitious, mm-hmm. um, unlike the unlike the uh, her spouse, who's who's more the artist, who's uh, putting on an art film, uh, screening it in a pornographic theater. Mm, okay. So yeah, so the drama is interesting from that point until the woman starts to transform into a chair. Mm. Then it, then it takes off a little bit into Michelle Gondry fancifulness, but um, it it it's kind of of a piece, and so like already I I can kind of hear from the tone of your voice like whether you're kind of willing to go with it or not. I'm gonna say if you do have like kind of the patience for that kind of creative vision, maybe you're willing to go with the other two. Okay. The other one. Yeah, the second one is by Leos Carax. He's he's not as prolific as either Michelle Gondry or Bong Joon Ho, mm-hmm. uh, th- but he does one. It's like a pastiche of Godzilla. He's got his uh, his his trademark uh, cohort, the uh, Klaus Kinski to his Werner Herzog, <laughs> um, Denny Levant. <laughs> okay, um, playing a, playing a man named Mister Shit uh, who emerges out of the sh- out of the sewers and just terrorizes the citizens of Godzilla. Is he like normal it's, size? Is he is he a giant? What what what's no no no? He's normal. About? He's he's normal size. He's 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 a re- he seems to be a regular human being, with the exception that he has a very curly red beard, and a dirty uh, green singlet, or a, like kind of romper costume, and has very long nails and very long hair and a milky eye. Okay, that's his deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, got it. But he terrorizes. It, it's it's a pretty direct parody of Godzilla because they play the Godzilla music and mm-hmm. um, you hear his roar when he when he takes the. Uh, the sewer lid off and starts to terrorize citizens. So that one, that one's the most out there and, the, and probably the least compelling one because it's also like not not great production wise. It's kind of like it looks like shot on video or something. It's, oh, it's okay. Yeah, the, it, all these things are something a little off about them. So. <laughs> oh, I but know. The, the oh, best... oh, oh, I have seen this before. I'm looking it up. Yeah. I see, yeah. I remember this very succinctly. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah. keep going, keep going. But the, but the best of them by far is the final one by Bong Joon-ho. Are you saying Bong Joon-ho and made a great film? I t- yes. <laughs> I know. I'm, let me be the first critic to say it. Have you have you heard of this guy? Have you have you heard about this? Have you seen this? <laughs> this guy's crazy. Yes. But he observes uh, his story centers around a hikikomori. Mm-hmm. One of these guys who I say guys because they're mostly men um, who kind of drop out of society and and live uh, just at home, play video games all day, don't really have a job or romantic prospects or anything like that. Mm. So he's very insulated in that way until he meets a and and very organized by his life. I mean, the, it it's not exactly like out there in terms of like nothing really fantastical is is part of the story except for maybe. Um, the the interior of his apartment he's very well organized and that's thrown thrown out all those love pillows are perfectly segmented by day (laughs) exactly (laughs) well he's not that desperate um until he meets a a delivery girl uh somebody who delivers like his pizzas and 
So the only fantastical element of that story is that an earthquake kind of shakes up his life, uh, as well as this young woman. The Mm. earthquake literally and figuratively kind of shakes up his life, and uh, he does set foot outside. Um, Ironically, because this this earthquake scares everybody else to stay indoors. Mm. So um, that's that's the one thing preventing him from this romance. So, got it. Again, all very well done. Again, extremely hard to find. It will maybe test your your patience or creativity, what you expect out of a film. Like all anthology films, like they're very uneven in terms of tone and quality. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So this seems like it's kind of indicative of. I, for a while, there was like a, a a trend for like indie directors to make short films about a particular city. I remember Paris Jajidim or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, Paris Jatem. Yeah, and they uh, tried to extend it out to like New York. I love you. And, yeah, exactly. So. I thought maybe, looking back on this, I thought maybe Tokyo was kind of in a similar vein, but it seems like with only three, they're probably not going with that theme. But No, not exactly. I think um, two Japanese producers were the impetus behind it, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure why they hired two French directors and a Korean one to tell the story <laughs> of Japan. But, uh, the, hey, far be it for me to, to tell them that they did wrong. I think it's, again, a fantastic movie. Your mileage may vary based on how out there it is, uh, particularly the Michel Gondry and the Leo Carax uh, uh, stories. But um, really, the Boon John Ho one is the one to tune into. That one's fantastic. And really does kind of like, I feel like, bring it all together in terms of the, the story of a city. So Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll buy it. I believe it. Yeah. Okay. I'll take Good. your word for it. I'm not, I'm, not manda- I'm not mandating that you have to see it. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be like some of these festival goers who are like, oh my gosh, I had the most amazing experience. It's, it's, oh my god! Like, oh, I died. I died, and I came <laughs> back to life. And uh, it's the most revelatory experience that I've ever experienced. Man. Exactly. Yes. There was a a, a ten hour standing ovation. <laughs> yes. Only one thing that could resurrect me, and that's the work of Boon John Ho. <laughs> All things are made through him. So. Yes. <laughs> I am looking forward to Parasite, but you're right. The the the. Uh, the uh, critic discourse around it has been like, oh, the greatest films. Yes. And just a reminder, we still have not seen Joker yet. So. No, of course. I'm, I'm seeing it this week. I've already got my tickets. Yes. We, I think we will as well. So. All right. Yeah. You look forward Yay. to that next week. Yeah. Yay. John, will we, be here? will we be back next week? I think we will be. But there's people are probably wondering, how can we stay connected in between this week and the next? Well, have I got ideas for you? First, you can follow us on Twitter. At Aspiring Snobs. You can follow us on Insta. You can follow our Instagram page. Uh, at Aspiring Snobs. Same thing. Um, and then you can also... You can follow us on the face. Um, <laughs> yes. That's what the kids are calling it. Yeah. The cool kids are calling it Insta now. Mm-hmm. And the other cool kids are calling it The Face. So yes. Just connect with us on the social meets. As the yes. cool kids are calling it. <laughs> I don't think they're even aware of the, the concept of social media. I think it's, it's more like the oxygen. It's part of their daily lives. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So they, they don't see, like, Snapchat as, oh, the platform where yeah. I can connect with my friends. They they just see it as some something on the phone. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how uh, we, as as youngins, just kind of came home and sat in front of the TV for four hours every day. So yeah. it's just part of our routine. It's just part exactly. of our day. So. But, yeah, and uh, if you want to reach out to us directly, you could always email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com if that tickles your fancy. You can... Uh, leave your questions comments and give us recommendations about what films we should be watching so uh go ahead and do that exactly and again we hope you enjoyed the show Mm -hmm. 
If you haven't, then ignore this next 30 seconds or so. If you did, mm. though, I'll let you in on a little secret. This is for We're platinum on... users only. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're on every podcasting platform. Like, literally every one. Uh, it's easy. You just got to get on one, and they connect with every other one. Exactly. So, from awesome. Apple Podcasts to Stitcher to Spotify to Acast to Player FM. We're not we on can... Acast anymore, actually. Okay, I don't know forget what happened. it. Forget what I said earlier. <laughs> yep. All right, yeah. All right, this is for Super Platinum listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is for our $10 subscribers on Patreon. Yes. <laughs> but go ahead, rate us five stars on those platforms. More people will watch the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll create aspiring swaps community. We'll be cultivating conversation about these films. Indeed. Hopefully, resurrecting them, bringing them back in case people forgot about Carrie. Obviously, they haven't. It keeps getting remade and yeah. talks of getting remade. So, as all as all uh, '70s horror movies must. Yes. Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left. Actually, wait, did The Last House on the Left come out in the '60s? Perhaps. Uh, uh, no, it came out in 1973, I believe. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't know why I digressed with that. Anyway, yeah, not beside the point, because we're moving on to the 80s, yes. folks. The 80s. Yes. Doing lots of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. I got the reference, but... Yes. <laughs> for Halloween, we were moving through the decades, and gosh, we're just flying through October. Mm-hmm. We've already seen a, a drive-in classic from the 50s, a psychological terror from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a slasher from the seventies. I don't want to call it a slasher. I don't. Uh, what do you What do you want to call it from the seventies? Uh, uh, I have no idea. How to characterize it? Supernatural. I'll I'll call it a supernatural. There you go. Yeah. Them. All right. Go for yeah. it. Um, so, John, we've got the pick of the litter from the eighties. Yes, and there's only one direction we can go: musical. <laughs> I, I wanted to test you, see how you would transition, but yeah. Yes. Hell, F it. Let's just watch <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors, a movie I've never seen before, but one that's been sold to me many, many times, so I look forward to actually watching it. I know this used to play in the afternoons on WB56, back when you and I used to watch terrestrial television for four hours a day. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I know a guy gets eaten by a giant plant, and I was like, oh, no thank you. <laughs> but now that I'm grown up, I'm ready to face my fears and, and watch it. So There we go. I mean, I feel like Jumanji trained us, because I remember the giant plants eating people in that in that movie, or at least the threat of giant plants eating people as a, as a major threat in that film. But That's true. Yeah, I, I, I think I think we're ready. I think we're big boys now to put on our big boy pants and experience yes. a horror musical comedy directed by <laughs> one of the Muppets. <laughs> yes, and starring Rick Moranis. <laughs> so yes, look forward to that next week. Until then, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, they're laughing at you. They're all laughing at you. They're laughing at you. They're all laughing at you. <laughs> <laughing> at you. <laughs> <laughs>